0: That's why you go with the Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card. If you travel, you know.
1: Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com
0: and Welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland.
2: And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And I'm
0: tired.
2: Why are you tired, Jonathan?
0: Because I just got back from lost wages. I went to CES 2014 in Las Vegas, Nevada. CES, of course, formerly known as the Consumer Electronics Show.
2: Now known only as CES.
0: The biggest trade show on the face of the planet, possibly in the Milky Way. It's where uh, lots of different electronics companies come together to show off the stuff what they have. And-, and
2: some of the stuff what they do not have yet, but think it might be pretty cool, perhaps right. in the future.
0: Yeah. So one thing I, me- I want to say right at the very top of this show is that some of the stuff you see at CES, I know a lot of our listeners probably have never been to a CES. You probably uh, because seen,
2: it's a professional yeah, organization yep, thing. Yep, yeah. it's,
0: it's, it's industry only. You have only. to be
2: either media or a, a buyer for a company or yeah, et cetera in order or to, or to be Or an exhibitor there. of some mm-hmm. sort.
0: Industry associate is what some of them are called. Sure. Um, Which I think is the most vaguely defined of all the different groups. But anyway, it's a place where they'll show off stuff, not just the stuff that's coming out. They'll show off stuff that has already been out, but maybe hasn't. Uh, hit widespread notice yet, uh-huh. or maybe it's stuff that you've heard about for a few months, but you haven't had a chance to actually see or get your hands on it. So uh, some of the things that I actually have in my list of stuff that I saw and personally experienced while at CES, if you've been paying really close attention to the tech news, you'll be like, well, I That's not
2: new. pretty sure
0: I heard about that in the spring of 2013. Why are you talking about now? Well, I'm talking about now. Because now's when I finally got my grubby little hands on it. So uh, now uh, when I went to CES, I was specifically going in my capacity as host of another show called forward thinking. All right. So if you guys have not checked out forward thinking, you should go do that. We also have an audio podcast and, uh, not only am I on that audio podcast, but Lauren, you're on that audio podcast, too.
2: Uh, that is extremely correct. Uh, also joining us on that podcast is Mr. Joe McCormick, who is a writer for the video series. Yes,
0: he's one of the uh, in fact, I would call him the head writer. Yes. And uh, so I went there kind of looking at technologies that I thought were sort of in that vein of bringing the future into the present, mm-hmm. which meant that I didn't spend as much time. Looking at a lot of the technologies that really dominate some of the main floors at CES. Uh,
2: Well, although also I would argue that some of the main technologies that dominate the floors of CES are things that we have seen so frequently and just ad infinitum that it it gets to a point where it's like, I don't care about your 4K television or your new smartphone or your new tablet. Right. If it doesn't, if it doesn't
0: do something different for me, then
2: why why am i looking at and it? and
0: even the breakdancing stuff's getting a little old folks let me tell you um no I, but you know you're totally right right like you'll hear that after every ces about a i think the day after ces is over you hear all the journalists lamenting like where was all the cool stuff now not that 4k televisions aren't cool they are no, gorgeous they're great but you know when here's the other thing is that you know you go to five or six enormous booths uh these booths are dominated by these 4K televisions that are everywhere in every kind of shape and size that you can imagine. Some of them are even flexible. We'll talk about one of those. Um, they are uh, they are really cool when you see them, but after you see a few of them, it feels like you're just seeing the same thing repeatedly. And it, it doesn't really matter which uh, uh, manufacturer you start with. And this isn't to say that all 4K televisions are equal, but just that after you've seen a few, it feels like you're seeing the same thing
2: Absolutely. Place after place. So let me,
0: let me explain to you guys before we go into some of the specifics of the technology that I saw, what it is kind of like to go to a CES.
2: It sounds like a, like a calming spa that you go to to sort of collect yourself and. Well, let me, let me
0: shatter the illusions you have, Lauren. Uh, First of all, so the main hallways at CES are at the Las Vegas Convention Center, which Mm -hmm. has 3.1 million square feet of exhibition space. So, Lots of space, right? That area is divided into three main halls. You have the South Hall, which actually has two floors, both of which are huge. You have the Central Hall. That happens to be where all the really big name manufacturers like Sony, Panasonic, LG, Samsung, those are all in the Central Hall. And then you have the North Hall, which is mostly automotive tech and then some other stuff. But beyond that, you also have space at the LVH, which is now called the Las Vegas Hotel. It used to be the Las Vegas Hilton. Uh, So they've got uh, a bunch of booths there. A lot of them are international booths, but they have other stuff there as well. Then you have the Venetian and the Sands Expo Center. Uh, At the Venetian itself, within the towers, you have a lot of the audio uh Manufacturers, because it turns out that showing your super high fidelity audio system in the middle of a noisy convention hall doesn't necessarily give a person a real sense of what it's capable of doing. So there are a lot of them that will have a, a, a suite at the Venetian. Then you have the the, the Sands uh, Expo Center, which is another convention center that has uh, it had the. <laughs> let's see, that one had the Eureka Park area. Wearable tech was there, uh, or they actually call it fashion tech, which. That was fun. I had fun there, and then uh, robotics. There was some robotics stuff there as well. So anyway, it's it's okay, enormous. So so what
2: you're saying is that this is spread out throughout basically the entirety of Las Vegas. And, At least the Strip. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah There's other parts of Las Vegas than the Strip. I'm aware.
0: Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, but the Strip itself is dominated. And if you, even if you are talking about all the different exhibition space after hours, there are lots of meetings and parties. I didn't go to. I went to one meetup slash party thing. It was the Discovery Digital slash Revision 3 meetup because I'm part of that. So I went to that, but I didn't really go to any of the other parties this time. I did go to some of the press events, but uh, those were really to give you an opportunity to see some of the smaller companies that otherwise you might overlook because you're you know, waiting between two booths that are the size of your house,
2: you might miss the
0: one that's a, the size of a cubicle.
2: Sure. And, and just to give you an idea of the scope of the number of people that go every year, um, total attendance last year was one hundred and fifty two thousand seven hundred and fifty nine people.
0: Yeah, I would I would suspect that for 2014 it was probably about
2: the same. Those are the projections that I've seen. I've seen projections around 150,000.
1: Yeah, it doesn't it
0: didn't feel like it was more crowded to me. So it felt like at most it was probably you know around the same number. So let's talk about some of the stuff I actually saw and some of the stuff I didn't see but happened at CES. Because here's the thing: as one person, it is impossible to see everything. Yes, you're just not going to.
2: And and next year I'm hoping to be able to 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 go and help them out with that. That would be
0: sweet. If one of us could cover, like, even if we're talking about still covering major sections, like one of us takes the Venation and the other one takes the Las Vegas Convention Center, that still means seeing a lot more than we would otherwise. Because, you know, having one person to do all of it is really difficult. So, uh, let's start with the 4K television. So 4K, that's essentially you're talking about, you know, ultra high definition. Right. right? So, it's not exactly four times the resolution of a 1080p television. But it's essentially it's like close. That. Uh The biggest issue with 4K TVs right now, I mean, apart from the fact that they're still fairly expensive, although I think Vizio was yeah, looking Vizio at $1,000. Yeah, Vizio announced
2: a $1,000 one. 50-inch I, I
0: think it's the 50-inch 4K TV. Do
2: not have the size information on it, but um, but being that they are the most popular TV manufacturer in the United States, this announcement supposedly has a bunch of other companies kind of scared.
0: Yeah, because I mean, it wasn't that long ago that 4Ks were just prototypes, and uh-huh. they were saying when it comes to market, it's going to be a ten thousand, twelve thousand dollar television, right? Uh, now we're starting to see them get down in the one thousand to two thousand five hundred dollar range for some of the. Uh, quote unquote bargain brands, right? And then the more premium brands are pro- cl- probably closer to five thousand dollars. So still expensive, but at a thousand dollars, you're talking, you know, about something that is within the reach of a much larger potential audience. But here's the caveat I would give all of you. Mm-hmm. Getting content for your 4K television right now is a bit of a challenge.
2: It is, although Netflix had a really interesting announcement about that at the yep. show. Did you hear about this? I one? did,
0: I did. Netflix talked about streaming in 4K.
2: Yeah, yeah. They, um, they said that House of Cards season two will definitely be streaming in 4K and that every original Netflix series from here on out is going to be shot in 4K. Um, furthermore that Breaking Bad is going to be remastered and released for streaming in 4K and, um, Basically, after that, all of these smart TV companies on the show floor announced that they will be supporting a 4K Netflix app in the future.
0: And also, we should point out that that a lot of these televisions can also upgrade an incoming image. Essentially, it's like interlacing. You're you're adding more pixels into it. So you're artificially making it a higher definition picture. Uh, I will tell you that by looking at one, you could certainly see the difference. Like I've often said that between 2K and 4K, it's really hard for me to detect the difference. It's still true. But um, you can tell that it's sharper. A 4K television is definitely sharper than, say, an HDTV. Uh, it did, however, bring up some concerns, which uh, I very <laughs> cattily talked about with a friend of mine who was <laughs> what, looking at the TVs with me, where she and I were focusing on the makeup of the people on oh. screen because you could see where it was clumping. Oh,
2: Jonathan, why would you why would you do that when you yourself are filmed in aren't you filmed in 4K for forward thinking? I am,
0: and that's exactly why I was looking at it and because I was thinking one day the stuff I shoot could be on one of these screens and this is what I'm going to look like.
2: I'm I'm just saying that maybe you shouldn't be catty about it. If, I was I mean, caddy
0: not uh, not about okay. the, the person, but I rather know. about the technology showing all the flaws. So I'm just saying
2: makeup karma, man. Makeup karma. No,
0: no 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 I totally get that. I totally get <laughs> that. Like I, I don't I don't want to be able to see all the pores of a person. I don't blame the person for the pores. I blame the technology. Um so no, I'm
2: a little bit freaked out by that too. I'm not sure that I need that much um Detail of realism when I'm watching, I don't know.
0: Can you, all right, let me, let me, let me give you a title of a show and I want you to imagine that title, that show in ultra high definition. Okay. Real Housewives of Atlanta. Real Housewives of Atlanta, ultra high definition. Can you imagine
2: I think I think we're going to need a replacement host for, <laughs> for the rest of this episode.
0: So anyway, that's that was one of those things where I I can imagine it for certain things being incredible. Like sports, forget it. Sports oh, yeah. sports uh, they had some sports footage showing on some of these TVs and it looked like you were on the field. I mean, it was beautiful. And I'm not a big sports guy, but even I was getting excited seeing this kind of sure, footage.
2: Sure, sure. And, uh, uh, and and you know, I don't know, like like really really visually arresting films like I could picture Getting pretty excited about watching like a Julie Taymor movie on 4K or
0: or uh, Guillermo del Toro or like, sure, Kid Pan's yeah. Labyrinth in 4K would be. Amazing.
2: Or if you're a ridiculous nerd like me, like a David Cronenberg film, that sounds oh,
0: good grief. terrifying you and to, wonderful. When you have to clean the viscera off the screen of your television, yes! you know it's truly immersive.
2: <laughs> I want that. Well, uh
0: one of the TVs that I wanted to mention in particular was a Samsung 85 inch television that was bendable. They were they had yeah. an OLED screen and it could bend.
2: Yeah, it, like bend at the push of a button. Yes. Like, you, like by remote On control. demand you could uh-huh. bend
0: it. And the idea curved TVs, by the way, one of the big trends.
2: Uh yeah, yeah, especially last. Year, I think that everyone was like, it's curved, yeah, and, and people were like, whatever. You no, know,
0: how do I mount that on my wall? Um, but the idea of the curved screen gives you a, a wider viewing angle, right? Because that's one of the problems with the flat screen is that you start getting off to the side a little bit, and if you're like me, like, like my living room and kitchen are next to each other, mm-hmm. and it's a very wide kind of room. So if I'm in the kitchen preparing something, I can see where the TV is, but I can't really see what's on it because of the angle I'm at. Sure. curved TV, I would be able to see a little bit more. Uh, and so this one could actually go from flat to actual curve by pushing the button. And at first, everyone thought this is just a prototype. It's just on display at CES. And then they
2: announced that it was going to be on sale later this year. Yeah.
0: Second half of 2014. So uh, that's something that uh, I that might have been one of those things where they were judging the response on the show floor huh. and deciding whether or not to go forward, uh-huh. or it could have just been that they were playing coy the whole time. I don't know.
2: Either one. Um
0: so yeah, TV's huge, obviously. So I wanted to get that out of the way. Because that's that's the thing that you're gonna see the most of if you were to walk into, say, the Central Hall. But let's move on. Uh how about some of the more funky ones? Because we had people actually write in and say, Can you cover some of the strange tech that was out there? How about uh polarized contact lenses?
2: Oh yeah, I saw that one.
0: In a Vega. Yeah, it looks like if you were to look at the actual lens, they look like regular contact lenses that are floating in solution except they have like a little silver disc. And it turns out that it's a polarized contact lens that you wear in in uh, you pair it with a pair of augmented reality glasses.
2: Uh right, this isn't polarization with the purpose of for example, um cutting down on UV light the way that a pair of polarized sunglasses would be. Exactly. Um this is this is specifically for watching tech uh, allowing you to focus on two different focal ranges simultaneously. Yeah. So, um, and, and the way that it works, I think, uh, was that if you have a, a filters in these microlenses, they can focus the display of a of a digital readout onto the center of your retina while focusing the ambient light that you're getting from the rest of the world on the surrounding area of your retina.
0: That's exactly right. So let's say that I'm wearing these glasses – and I'm looking, uh you know, off in the distance. Let's say that you're you're 30 feet away from me and you're waving to me. And at the same time, I've got my Twitter feed up because, you know, I'm me. Of course. So normally, the way it would work, let's say if it's with Google Glass, I would put my uh, focus on the screen that is physically closer to my eye. My eye would adjust so that it was looking at that focal length. You would be out of focus to right. me, right? right. I, I You would look, just be a blur, bouncing up and down and waving, and I wouldn't even know. I'd just be mildly distracted while I'm looking at all the at replies of that funny thing I just tweeted. But with this approach, uh you would be in the same focal length. Uh my brain would essentially say that I if I were focusing on you, I could also at the same time focus on the stuff that was coming through on the Twitter feed. And uh that's amazing. So to be able to be able to focus on something that's literally right in front of your eye and something that's further like twenty feet away at the same time is kind of phenomenal.
2: Yeah, and and this is definitely in the research kind of stages right now, but the applications, I mean, this is the technology that could make aug- augmented reality work.
0: Yeah. Yeah, if, if, if you want to have something that's not just a tiny little screen that you have to look away from the world.
2: uh, Yeah, yeah, and that you can wear while you're driving or something mm-hmm. like that. It was
0: pretty neat. So uh, uh, I got to hold the contact lenses. They didn't let <laughs> me put them on because they only had the one pair. Aww. Uh, Another big thing that was shown off, actually it's not big, it's small, but another thing that was shown off quite a bit were the throw projectors. Uh, these are the ideas that, you know, the, a projector that you can put in a room that will project against a wall or a screen. And, uh, they had a four, the, some of them were really beautiful. Sony had a 4K throw projector that wow. you could put up right next to a wall. It was kind of like a little pyramid mm-hmm. and it leaned back would project the, the display uh, directly against the wall you had put it in front of 4K resolution. Shoo. Uh, I think it's like $30,000. So, you know, it's just a. <laughs> Just a quick jaunt to the mortgage company to put a second mortgage on my house and I could get one of these things. Um, but it was really kind of a neat idea. And of course, these are the th- sort of technologies the prices will fall as manufacturing processes and improve and demand increases.
2: Uh, sure. I imagine that this will be a, a luxury item for a good period of time because even pretty conventional projectors right now are still not pretty expensive. Cheap, right? Yeah,
0: it- and, you know, the, there's an obvious, uh, attraction to them because you're not limited to the size of a television screen, even a big TV screen. You oh, can go, sure. You can go even bigger than the biggest TV screens that are conventionally available. And you don't have to figure out how do I support this enormous piece of technology because it's just oh, a projection. Yeah.
2: yeah. And, and when you're, I mean, at a certain point, you're, you're cutting down, I would imagine, on a little bit of the energy of running a, a LED or sure. OLED. And furthermore, the components for an LED and OLED are are not cheap all the time. That's true too. So.
0: Yeah, especially if you want to go to AMOLED. If you go to AMOLED, then you get talking serious cash. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Oculus Rift had a new prototype.
2: Yeah, the Crystal Cove version.
0: Mm-hmm. This one actually had on it some little sensors on the outside that allow a camera to help track your motions to make it even more precise.
2: Uh, right, a, a separate camera that you that you mount somewhere in right. your room, and it's got little, the little motion tracker like stickers almost kind right. of around the right. set.
0: kind of like you know you're you're you've got. Uh, uh, like a golem right there on your eyes,
2: and using that technology, it will let the wearer um, like like lean over a ledge or peer around mm-hmm. a corner in in its in the game world.
0: Right, right. It, it gave even more points of articulation within the virtual world. Uh, now they were quick to say that the the consumer Oculus Rift may or may not. Ever use this same sort of technology?
2: Right. This is all in prototype still. Yeah.
0: So, and also, there's no telling that this particular prototype is going to go to developers anytime soon.
2: Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, uh, other features that this one had, I read about, and an OLED display. Yep.
0: Higher uh, resolution.
2: Um. You Yeah. 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 High, lower uh, latency. Too. Lower latency, less motion blur. Um. Palmer Luckey said specifically about that that manufacturers have been starting to take him seriously since he, you know, raised over seventy five million dollars in in uh, and, and funding, yeah. And funding over the past year or so. And that they're, and that that has helped him, um, create some dedicated parts for right. this device. As
0: opposed to just, hey, let's, hey, let's, let's put shove this, this element tablet into bit there. Yeah. into yeah. this
2: thing. And so that, that yeah. was pretty
0: cool. And another headset, there were a couple of different headsets that were on display at CES, but the only other one that I personally got a chance to take a look at was a Sony headset. Oh um, yeah.
2: They're wearable HDTV, right? Yeah.
0: HMZ T3Q. <laughs> uh so it just rolls off the tongue it
2: does so this this is
0: not for gaming you know oculus rift is mainly for gaming virtual reality mm-hmm. kind of approach although mm-hmm. they've talked about other potential applications but that's the main focus right this one's not that way. The idea is that you're there as a passive observer for entertainment. So in other words, you're watching movies and television on this thing.
2: Yeah, but but my movies are television that have been filmed with like 170 degree field of view that you can kind of look around in.
0: It's, yeah, it's kind of designed. The idea is that it sort of creates a representation of sitting in a movie theater looking at a 75 foot wide screen. Mm-hmm. So like imagine that you're sitting in the best seat in the house. There's no one sitting in front of you. But you're, and you're viewing a mute, a movie. That's what it's supposed to be. That, that's the experience it's supposed to be like. So, uh, as soon as I saw this, I thought, I wish I had this whenever I got on a plane. Cause I could drown yeah. the rest of that world out, watch a movie. It's all right there. I, I can watch whatever I like. I'm not worried about, you know, someone leaning over and, and watching my movie or, uh, that I bought
2: or, or or putting their feet up on the back of your chair or,
0: well, they I'd- might do that anyway, but at least I won't be aware of it because I'll be lost in a fantasy world of some sort. I don't know what movie I would pick to be the first one. I'd want something really spectacular though. Maybe uh, there was a little independent film made back in 1977 that had some people running around with laser swords that I might want to watch, but you know, I'd figure something out. Um, what about the pre-OVR bodysuit? Did you get a chance to see this?
2: That's not one that I got a chance to look at. Tell me all about it. All right.
0: So imagine that you have a... Basically, it's a harness. Okay. It's a harness that even has arm straps that go down with okay. sensors on your head, on your your torso, on your arms, uh, and it is designed to sense all the motion, and it was being used in a game that they had shown off specifically at CES that was a zombie survival game because... Zombies. Yeah. Um, And the way it worked was that it could track all your motions in real time. So it's a motion tracking suit that you're wearing. I thought this was really interesting. I wasn't really sold on it, mainly because I think now that we've reached a level of sophistication with camera technology like the Kinect, Uh I'm not entirely convinced that something like this is necessary for you to be able to have that kind of level of immersion. But, you know, even if it's not necessary, there were some tricks that I think would be Harder to pull off with a camera-based system. So in one of the little videos, they show this guy who's just very casually killing zombies off left and right. He's uh-huh. picking up a bat with nails in it, and he's got a handgun. At one point, uh, after he's just blown up a bunch of zombies on a bridge, one zombie starts shuffling onto the screen to the character's left. All right? Okay. So here's the guy standing in space. He's looking at the screen. He sees that there's a zombie shuffling off to his left. He raises his right arm. Puts it behind his head and then does the gun move Uh so that his gun and this character on the screen pulls up, puts his gun behind his head and does a behind the head shot. Wow. And kills the zombie. Uh huh. And at that point, I think, you know, maybe a camera would have trouble with having the right algorithm to track exactly where the arm is and to know that the arm has gone behind the head.
2: Right. Getting that level of specificity off of, especially, um, infrared related cameras is going to be a little bit difficult. Um, and I don't think that that's the only, I, I, was doing a little bit of reading, um, and I'm probably going to do a blog post over on the aforementioned forward thinking about this, a, a Mio armband, which is a, a similar, it, it's a more compact device right. than this one sounds like. Um, it's, it's just a little stretchy bracelet that you can put on your forearm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so you could have it track very small motions like, like, like pretending to pull a trigger. Sure. Uh, that you didn't, you wouldn't have to make quite such a big gesture for a camera to pick up.
0: Right, right. Yeah, and there was a lot of motion tracking and eye tracking technology on display at CES. I had a lot of fun looking at that stuff and playing with that stuff. Um, I was really impressed with the fact that some of these companies have created algorithms that allow them to use even super cheap webcams yeah. as a connect like motion sensor now. So I was looking at one that it was built directly into a laptop. It was not a special webcam. All it was doing was running the motion tracking software, but you could do connect like gestures and control stuff on the the computer. So to me, it's really remarkable that we can even develop software that can overcome the limitations of the hardware. Sure. And then you think, well, if you were able to, you know, do that software for hardware that's specifically designed ben for this motion track, yeah, yeah. When, when that was one of the companies I talked to specifically was talking about that. Let's talk a little bit about robots. <laughs> I got to see a lot of different kinds of robots,
2: yeah uh parrot had a bunch of new mini drones out
0: yeah, they had a the their little sumo jumping robot uh yeah, sumo robot is like a uh imagine imagine a sphere. That has wheels on either side, uh-huh. and uh, part of the sphere, like the back of the sphere, is a little elongated. That's got a little stubby tail. The tail is just long enough so that when it tilts backward, like when it when it rotates back it against its axis onto the ground, uh-huh. so it can actually put the, push the stubby tail against the ground and jump. And it jumps like two feet high. Uh, they did parrot did a a a display where they had uh, this stage set up. And every 15 minutes or so, they would do, maybe even 10 minutes or so, they would do a a demonstration where the robots would roll out onto the stage. A couple of them would jump up on the stage. The stage itself was elevated more than a foot off the floor. So some of the robots would jump from the floor to get up on the stage. A couple of them would jump up onto neighboring drums. And then what they would do is they'd use the little tail to drum a, a rhythm.
2: That's adorable.
0: And meanwhile, the flying Parrot robots, the little mini drones uh-huh. would come out and do a little choreographed maneuver uh, all together. And it was all done to a song and it was really well done. Very charming. So uh, Parrot, of course, is the the company that created the Parrot AR drone, the one right. that has a camera you could control with an iPhone. I remember the very first time I saw that and it blew me away. And they're just continuing to build in this space. They do other stuff, too. It's not just robotics, but that's probably the most visible thing at CES sure. they do. Mm-hmm. But another robot that I got to see was uh, there. there's a company called Modular Robotics. And they build robots that are meant for kids to play with where – imagine building blocks. But the building blocks have within them all the components of a robot. Oh, cool. And when you snap them together, they make those connections. And
2: do different things?
0: Based upon the way you build them. Oh, wow. So if you build them with some sort of actuating arm, they can move the actuating arm. You can put a sensor on them so that they react to a specific change in stimuli. Yeah. And th- so if you like have a, a motion sensor and you move in front of it, it'll move because of the actuators and the sensors you put on it. And it all, it's completely modular. So you can build whatever kind of robot you want. I got to play with one that ended up being like a remote controlled vehicle, uh, that all the controls were on a tablet and they were done in slider form. And it was a little, uh, difficult to get the hang of it first because to control the left wheel, uh, and one and if I wanted it to roll forward compared to where I was standing, because there was really no forward or backward on this particular device. But if I wanted it to roll forward based upon where I was standing, the left wheel, I'd have to slide the slider up right wheel. I would have to slide the slider down so it would also turn in the right direction. Uh-huh. And then if I reversed one of those, it would start spinning in a circle and then if I reversed both of them, I could make it roll backward, right? Like if uh-huh. I made if I made uh-huh. right go up and left go down, it would roll back toward me. Uh, took some time t- for my brain to learn to how to wrap do that. around
2: that. Sure.
0: But both of those were great examples of technology designed to uh, to teach kids about engineering and technology and creativity. Uh, and that was a lot of fun. I, I, I honestly I played with them quite a bit. And uh-huh. I had a lot of fun. Um, so anyway, we've got a ton more stuff to talk about at CES, including some things that I didn't get to see, but we'll, we'll touch on. But before we talk about all that, let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor. Working remotely where you are, shouldn't dictate what you do work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data wifi hotspot with AT&T in-car wifi. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required.
1: Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or.
0: No matter if the ride you're on is big or small, a Nissan Rogue, Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada can elevate your adventure and push your limits to something new. Your next adventure is waiting for you. Get in a Nissan SUV and go. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. All right, so we're back. Uh, And I'm really back, which is nice. So... One of the things I got to see, because uh, Forward Thinking was the, you know, that was the show that I was representing. Uh, Forward Thinking's sponsor is Toyota. Right. And Toyota actually sponsored all of Discovery Digital this year, which was great. Oh, wow. And it meant that I got to have some really up-close and personal uh, encounters over at the Toyota booth.
2: Uh, yeah. And Toyota had a bunch of uh, the main thing, if you have watched the forward thinking videos uh, that you will have noticed, is that Jonathan got to see a bunch of prototypes of fuel cell technology.
0: Yeah, which was great, you know, to see a fuel cell vehicle design as well as their their plan for fuel cells. Fuel cells. I mean, this is an idea that's been around for more than a century, but it's been really hard to get that as a viable alternative to other types of car uh, options, right? I mean, you've got electric cars and you've got, uh, gasoline cars, but. And most, got most the, the problem is
2: is that uh, as, as a fuel hydrogen or unbonded hydrogen is a little bit tricky to get a hold of and yep. so you've got some energy problems there and, and and the the technology itself the material science involved in it has been catching up
0: yeah uh, for one thing the materials that you need to build a reliable hydrogen-based fuel cell are expensive mm-hmm. you know usually you have a very rare metal catalyst like platinum mm-hmm. and that's that makes the whole thing more expensive but Toyota' has been working really hard to reduce that so that was kind of fun uh i won't go into more detail because you can always go to forward thinking and watch the video if you want to
2: yeah yeah did you also get to see toyota's uh IROAD? did you did you hear anything about that the, one? uh you the, mean
0: the the super crazy
2: the the, the little like miniature yeah. smart car almost. oh yeah i
0: got to watch that drive
2: oh man it's this is a this is a three-wheeled almost like like scooter or motorcycle kind of car yeah um That goes up to about twenty eight miles per hour can go thirty miles on a single charge and it it's kind of like a fancy motorcycle they're talking about using it in um uh, mostly in other countries right, right now as a just really great you know inner city transportation method that has a really small physical and carbon footprint
0: yeah you could you could park three of these in one regular uh car space really. I mean, it's they're that tiny. They had a uh, a circular area where there was a pedestal in the middle with one of these on the pedestal, uh-huh. and then every so often they would have someone drive out in one and, and zip, drive, around. zip around the pedestal. <laughs> uh, I remember when I was watching them drive this around, thinking to myself that the guy who was driving it seemed to be not having the best time in the world. Like he was, he he had no expression on his face, like just. Just driving this thing. And I'm like, this looks like it is the most fun thing to drive that has ever been invented. <laughs> I can't believe this guy doesn't have a, the biggest grin in the world.
2: Uh, that's, that's what I heard from people who got to test this thing out, that it was um, a little bit precarious feeling, but also so much fun and it, so zippy.
0: It was pretty exciting to watch.
2: Uh, BMW also had a self-driving car test and, yep. and they, they were doing this. They were letting folks take test drives in this automated car on a wet track with sharp curves and, like, basically at full tilt.
0: Yeah. Nothing like signing a waiver before you go into an exhibit.
2: Yeah. I'm not sure if I would have signed up for that one, but they, I'm fascinated that they did it.
0: Yeah. Bosch, uh, the company Bosch, which by the way, we should do an episode about Bosch at some point there. 127 year old company. Um, and they build a lot of the stuff that is making this autonomous cars and internet of things a possibility. Uh, they actually sponsored the gold lot. Uh, which is, was adjacent to the North Hall. That was where a lot of the actual car demos were taking place, where you could see them being driven around, including autonomous driving. So that was really cool too. Uh, one of the other things I saw, I saw a lot of these actually, uh, it's a little thing called a steam box. <laughs>
2: um,
0: yeah, steam boxes. They're finally a thing.
2: Yeah. 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 Now that we definitely need to do a full episode on those, now yes. that they're actually out.
0: Yeah. So yeah, there were some, you know, I, I go back and forth on Steam boxes. I think it's a neat idea. Uh, I think there's also some big limitations, but I'll save all that for a Steam box episode. I'll just say that if it's a Linux-based operating system that's running OpenGL and most of the games in st- on Steam are DirectX games that depend upon Windows, I wonder how big the library is going to be for actual Steam OS. that But that'll be a discussion we'll have in another episode. Yes. <laughs> there was also the Razer Christine. Did you see this thing?
2: Oh, yeah. This is the modular PC. And, yeah. and OK, modular PCs have happened before, but this is using PCI Express to wirelessly connect and sync modules and and like 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 the GPU the a uh, uh, solid state drive yep. the CPU mm-hmm. uh, the RAM the power supply
0: yeah so just imagine imagine a, a tower that has slots in it and you have cartridges essentially it's what they look like mm-hmm. the cartridges represent the different aspects of the computer like it's GPU or it's memory or whatever and then you slide those in and so since it's modular, if you want to upgrade, you take one out and you replace it with the new one. Uh really interesting approach, cool design. It, it, some people say it kind of looked like a tree, other people said it just looked like a weird tower thing. Uh the the one two things I would I would give as caveats to this is that one, since it's Razor and since it is mainly being shown as a gaming computer. Uh-huh. Uh, I would imagine it's going to come at a premium price. Oh,
2: yeah, I would imagine. They
0: haven't announced that price as of the recording of this podcast. Which but...
2: probably means that it's really high. Yeah,
0: plus, <laughs> a plus again, it'll depend upon the configuration you design, of course, right? Of course, of uh, course. But the other thing is that you're limited... Because even though it's modular, it's limited to the modules designed for that computer.
2: Uh, right. It's not like you can just go to, uh, you know, your a fries,
0: your, electronics, or buy a Newegg card or whatever and yeah.
2: put whatever you want in yeah, there. Yeah, You
0: can't crack open the case, slide one card out and put another one in that you bought from some discount store. You're going to have to get the module the either from Razer or from, right. a, you know, some third party vendor. But Although
2: still. I, I think that for a certain segment of PC gamers, that could be very attractive.
0: Yes, it could be. It could be. And, you know, it, it may mean that it's not important to you, especially if you're someone who has lots of discretionary income, in which case send me money. All right, so uh, then let's talk about um, 3D printers.
2: Uh Yeah, I heard that MakerBot was out in force.
0: Oh, boy, MakerBot, one of my favorites. Actually, uh, I have to remember, when I get home, I have a figurine printed by MakerBot that I have to bring to the office because that's Josh Clark's present from CES. Aww. He gets, he gets a little grouchy if I don't bring him back something. It has become a tradition that I bring him back something from CES every year.
2: He's very gracious about it. He reminds
0: me frequently, which has had to happen more this week because I, I just haven't put it in my bag yet. Anyway, 3D printers, MakerBot was out there big time. One of the, uh, the coolest things they had, they introduced a brand new, uh, 3D printer for the consumer that they called their industrial strength 3D printer, which allows you to print objects that are up to 12 inches by 12 inches by 18 inches, Oof. which is huge for oh a 3D printer. Yeah. For, for a consumer. For a consumer
2: level, printer. right.
0: Um, costs about $6,500 for that. But again, this is for someone, let me be like small businesses. Or, I love
2: the range of consumer, consumer costs well, for, no, yeah. no and, and I totally understand that is, that is way less than an industrial 3D, uh, printer. 3D printer of that size. Yeah. Or, probably, yeah like,
0: like if you look back two or three years, you're talking $30,000, 40000 $50,000 sure. for that. But yeah, still, still a chunk of change. I mean, I'm not going to say like it's cheap, but, uh, it was definitely impressive to see they had printed an entire, like uh uh kind of like a space marine style helmet that you could actually put on your head cuz that's how big wow. it was it was all in one piece too uh-huh. they didn't have to print it in pieces and put it together it was all one piece uh it's got a heated chamber so it maintains structural stability while it's printing uh, it's really crazy and it also uh, has connectivity with apps so let's say that you start a print job and then, you know, it tells you like it'll give an estimated time of when that print job is going to be finished. It prints the resolution. If you want to print it at the highest resolution, it's 100 microns. So that's how thick each level wow. is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is pretty tiny, right? So let's say you've wandered off uh, and it suddenly runs out of the filament. That's using, it'll send you a message saying you need to reload the filament. You go and you reload the filament and it'll start the print job again. Uh, or it tells you that the print job's over. It'll send you in a push notification. So you can alert come you. back
2: and get your thing. Yeah, yeah.
0: Especially if you need to send another print job to the printer. So, uh, yeah, kind of neat stuff, but they were not the only 3D printer company there. There were lots of them. There was a whole section in the South Hall just for 3D printing and there was even a robot rolling around the show floor that had a 3D printer on top of it. (laughs) There's a a robot with a 3D printer printing out in 3D as it rolled around. It was a little, it was a little much. (laughs) I also didn't put down here the the robot that uh, was a, a grill cleaner.
2: The grill cleaner robot.
0: Yeah. So just imagine instead of it having wheels, it has these steel brushes that turn and it just rolls all over the place on your grill and,
2: like a, like it. a Roomba for your, for, for your, your grill.
0: grill. Yeah. It gets all up in your grill and cleans it robotically. Lauren is shaking her head at me. Just, you can tick that down in your little <laughs> bingo sheets. Okay. So, uh, also, uh, while I was there, there was an announcement from my favorite, uh, uh, smartwatch company. Pebble. <laughs> yeah. Did you see the announcement that they had? Uh they came out with Pebble Steel.
2: Oh, that was that was officially announced there. Okay, yeah. and I, yeah. I, I knew that it had been on the show floor and that everyone was really impressed with it. And when I finally got around to look, looking up pictures of it, I was like, "Oh, this thing I want." Yeah, like previous, it's pretty previous right? Pebbles. I was like, "That thing is aesthetic. but this one, I was like, "No, I want to yeah. be wearing one the, of these." The the Pebble right Steel
0: now. is the one that's it's meant to be more like a luxury watch. It's it's
2: it's a, it's a steel or leather band or, or yep. a combination of the two. It's got a really slick little Gorilla Glass display. The, yep. the, the case is, is steel um it, it runs about 250 dollars so yeah so it's a little more expensive, markup. But, yeah, expensive uh, than the pebble I think that they also had announcements about an app store and software update
0: yep yep so there's going to be more of a of a in uh, an uh, ecosystem there that's the word I wanted to say ecosystem along with pebble which that'll be exciting because that'll go for all pebble watches not just the pebble steel oh, right, so right. if you're if you're wondering does Jonathan plan on getting a pebble steel Jonathan plans on getting a pebble steel because sometimes you gotta dress fancy. <laughs> that you will do. go with the other three watches that I have on order that haven't arrived yet. One of which I did see another one at CES, one that I backed on I can't remember if it was a Kickstarter I think it was Kickstarter. It was uh-huh. either Kickstarter or Indiegogo, but sure. I think it was Kickstarter. Called the CST01. cst one is not a smartwatch. It's a watch that's kind of like a steel cuff and it has e-ink display Oh,
2: right, right. I remember you talking about yeah, that one. Yeah,
0: super flat thin display. Very pretty design. Uh they actually had one at the oh, e-ink cool. booth. So cool. I got to see one in person and then they told me that it should be shipping pretty soon. So I hope that within a couple of weeks I'll I'll finally have my wrist on one. Oh, that's, one on my wrist. That's one exciting. Yeah. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is
1: in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and Starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. No surprise here, but
0: you know I gotta have my devices when I travel. I can't fly without my portable chargers and noise-canceling headphones keeping me immersed. And I'd be lost without my smartphone. No matter if the ride you're on is big or small, a Nissan Rogue, Nissan Pathfinder, or Nissan Armada can elevate your adventure and push your limits to something new. Your next adventure is waiting for you. Get in a Nissan SUV and go. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. I saw Mother when I was there.
2: Right. Yeah. So what is is this? Okay, this is a Korean company, I believe, right? And it's, it's supposed to be a replacement for your parents?
0: Well, it's really supposed to help you monitor things in your home, but it's supposed to give you incredible flexibility to do that. So a lot of the data stuff we talk about are very specific to very particular items. And we'll talk about one of those immediately following. Right. So let's say that you're talking about a, um, like your thermostat. And we, you know, we're going to be talking about Nest soon. Anyway, uh, you collect all that data and you can analyze it. And that's really interesting, but you're limited. You know, you have to do that piecemeal, right? You have to go and buy the product that does the thing. And then you may not even be able to integrate that into the other systems you have. So that means you end up having 40 different apps for all the stuff you're doing. The idea with Mother is that it becomes a unified base station that allows you to monitor pretty much anything. And they have these little sensors that they call cookies, now, right now, and you can get them in a cookie jar. It's so cute. Uh, so these little cookies right now are motion sensors, but there's going to be more um, functionality built into it over time. So let's say you attach one of these cookies to something specific like your keys, and then you can consult mother whenever you can't find your keys and it will tell you exactly where your keys oh, are. Oh, wow.
2: Uh-huh. Or
0: you put that on one of the other examples they had as they had one of these attached to a toothbrush so that you could learn whether or not your kids were brushing their teeth every night like they were supposed to.
2: There was other toothbrush related technology. Colibri! CES, wasn't there?
0: <laughs> Colibri toothbrush. You know, I make a list of the stuff I have to absolutely see before I go to CES and Colibri was on that list. So it's a, this is a little tiny startup company, and I got to talk to the inventor of Colibri. It was oh, yeah? great. Yeah, he's so enthusiastic. It's very genuine. is it fun to chat with him. But Colibri is a toothbrush that uh, has... a smart toothbrush. It, very <laughs> much a smart toothbrush. It's got sensors in it that can tell its attitude, orientation, its movement. And the idea is that you brush your teeth, you put the Colibri toothbrush on its inductive charging stand... Which is, you know, that's the way a lot of electric uh, toothbrushes charge. Sure. And then it will send information via Bluetooth to your smartphone and you get a grade for how well you brushed your teeth. And it's based not only on the duration, because you're supposed to brush your teeth for about two minutes. Right. You know, each each time you brush your teeth, uh, but also on the style, like how you brush your teeth. Are you brushing your teeth correctly? Because it can tell from the orientation and the movement where a lot which quadrant of your mouth you are brushing. And so it gives you all this information and the idea is that you can improve your brushing technique, uh, each session and you get a better grade, but it also means ultimately that if you do this and it if, if it works properly and if you do it properly, you'll cut down on the time you spend in a dentist chair, Oh, hey. which to me is awesome. Absolutely. So, you know, I love this kind of technology because the first time you hear about it, you're like, that sounds ridiculous. An, in- an app connected toothbrush.
2: Why do I need that? But, but then, then, when you
0: start thinking about it, you are like, "Wait, if does this mean that I spend less time with having uh, a metal hook jabbed, re- you know, mercilessly into my gums repeatedly?" I am on board. Sign up. Yeah. Yep. So I was really excited. There was another thing. Now, this is an example of something that had been introduced in twenty thirteen, and I had heard about it, but I hadn't seen it. Texas Instruments had created a basketball that had something like ninety five sensors in it. What? And what happens is when you throw this basketball it collects all that information and sends it to an app which then tells you what angle you made your throw how hard you threw it and uh, you, you know based upon where your throw went just when you watch and the information you get back you start to learn how to make better throws wow. so that you get nothing but net uh, I did not try this because I knew that if I were to throw the basketball, it would just tell me, I can see why you're always picked last.
2: Aww. So,
0: uh, but I watched other people do it and it was, it was cool because you would get, you know, feedback. And then the people working it were like, all right, so what that would mean is that you need to throw a higher arc, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And it was really cool to see how that, that would help you build muscle memory faster. Yeah. The last thing I have on my list is inarguably the most important. Uh, of all the things I saw yeah. while I was at CES.
2: What could that possibly be, Jonathan?
0: World Wrestling Entertainment had a press conference. And uh, if you can smell what The Rock is cooking... Uh, they then announced. Sorry, anyone who knows me knows I am a I'm a wrestling fan.
2: He's he's a very big wrestling fan. Yeah,
0: and I grew up in at in the Atlanta area, so I'm not talking pro wrestling. I'm a wrestling fan. Okay, Georgia Championship Wrestling. Later on, World Class Wrestling and World Championship Wrestling. We're talking like old school. WWE, of course, is the biggest name in the game of pro wrestling. And so they came to CES and I was curious to see what they were going to announce. I thought maybe it was going to be an app or something, but they really uh, hit like hard. They said, what we're going to do is offer up a digital network, which, you know, has been in the works, works for years. It was originally supposed to launch in 2012 and has been delayed multiple times. Lawrence. Amused at how excited I'm getting about this. It's a digital network that will stream 24/7. It gives original programming that's related back to the stuff that WWE is doing. It also will have all of the pay-per-views. That's 12 pay-per-views per per year, Uh, and it's a $9.99 subscription per month. So you think, oh, $10 per month? I don't know about that, but every single pay-per-view is like 30 bucks. You know, so you're already saving money. I I don't know why you wouldn't go ahead and do this. Also, they took a note from Netflix's book and they put it on everything. So, Xbox 360, PS3, PS4, eventually the Xbox One, I think that'll be live in the summer, uh, online through WWE.com. So, you know, it, it, it's that strategy of make sure you put it wherever people watch stuff uh-huh. so that they can watch it however they like.
2: I, 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 cannot profess to particularly caring anything about wrestling, but I do have to admit that this is an awesome, savvy business technology, uh, kind of concept to push yeah. out. And then if they're successful with it, then that could be a terrific business model for lots of other media companies. I, I
0: think, I think they're also like the people who are really into pro wrestling probably are also people who are really into things like video games. So being able to access this programming through your video game console. Mm-hmm. Uh, which means that you don't have to call up your cable carrier or use some weird thing in order to order a pay-per-view mm-hmm. and have all that content available anytime you want is pretty phenomenal. They're also going to show older uh, uh, stuff that they have in their uh-huh. archives, so old WWF and WWE yeah, yeah. should And I,
2: I could see this extending to other sports as well. Totally.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. This is a, it's, it's an interesting model. And in fact, it is something that UFC has already done. So oh,
2: okay. it's
0: uh, similar to the UFC approach. So, you know, we're, we're getting into, uh, from real actual like martial, mixed martial arts fighting into sports entertainment with WWE, but, um, you know, I really, I genuinely was impressed by the savvy they were displaying. Yeah, yeah.
2: And and I could totally picture, like, for example, all of uh, all of you crazy footballers out there when uh, when soccer season runs around having something similar, something similar yeah. could be pretty popular.
0: Now, there was some stuff at CES that uh, we have not mentioned that you're probably saying, why haven't you talked about that? And it, the main reason is because I wasn't. I didn't actually see it myself, but we can actually mention some of them.
2: Uh, yeah. Let's, let's talk about the PlayStation now. So, so Sony had, of course, a huge presence at CES. Yep. Uh, Kaz the CEO of Sony was there giving the keynote.
0: Yep. They, Sony has, uh, on press day, traditionally Sony has the final press event of the night. And then they also were the keynote for CES. That was something that up until last year was traditionally held by Microsoft. Microsoft right. was the company that would, That would kind of kick off CES
2: in increasingly strange ways. Yeah, Um, but but then I'll uh, never forget
0: seeing Slash play live on stage because of a a guitar hero face off between Balmer and and Gates.
2: Microsoft bowed out of that entire thing starting last year, and um and this year's, from what I've heard, was a lot more um calm than perhaps it has been in a few years.
0: Might have been. I didn't make it to either of the Sony events. I had conflicts on both of them. Uh, uh, but PlayStation Now, for those who are wondering, this is something that they were announcing back when they first talked about the PlayStation 4. It was not, uh, it was a feature that was not going to be ready upon launch, but they were saying this is something we're going to do. This is the part that addresses the problem of PlayStation 4 not being backwards compatible with right. earlier PlayStation games.
2: Right. This is going to be, it's a service that will stream games for, to the PS4, the PS3, the Vita, and also eventually uh, smart TVs, tablets, and phones.
0: So you'll be able to play PlayStation games on these various devices through streaming. So the actual game is running on a remote system, uh-huh. and you are, your controls are, are You know, being, uh, uh, the information's being ferried back and forth between your controls and the, the, the The remote system. Yeah. Yeah. The cloud system. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's an interesting, uh, solution to that problem because, I mean, you know, gamers hate when something's not backwards compatible. Oh,
2: of course. Because,
0: you know, most
2: anytime that you've purchased a thing and you say, Oh, you can't play that on this new thing that you just bought. It's like, but why
0: not? Look, I know I haven't played Sonic the Hedgehog and.
2: I could 14 need to years, but I time. might want
0: to. Right. Yeah. And I don't want to have to unhook something from my television set that's already at the max for oh, all yeah. the inputs yeah. and then hook up an old system just to play this. So this is a way of addressing that. Now, we don't really have enough details there to say. You know, exactly how this is gonna work. Is it gonna be a per game thing? Is it gonna be a subscription thing? There are a lot of different opportunities here, and I bet that Sony's gonna play with a lot of different approaches in their various betas. Oh, I'm sure. Before yeah. they, they come out with the official. They're,
2: they're gonna be in beta starting in February, I believe, and uh, looking at a potential rollout towards the end of the summer, 2014.
0: Right. Uh, other things I didn't see, there was, one of the things I I heard got a big buzz was a wearable device called the Razer Naboo. Which is I didn't uh, read
2: anything about that one. So
0: all right, so it's like a little uh, you're going to both love this, and then when I get to one of the elements of it, you are going to be horrified. Excellent. Okay, so it's a wearable. It's, it looks like a bracelet. It's uh-huh. got like a little timepiece on it. The way I was seeing it, uh, everyone was wearing the timepiece part on the inside of their wrists. Okay. So I guess they're all nurses. Um, anyway, uh, it it's an activity tracker, sleep tracker. But if it, if also, it was an
2: activity tracker, then part of that might have been the uh, the biometrics of your pulse yeah. uh, taking, taken from the inside of the wrist. Although, anyway.
0: although I don't know why the display would be there, because you could still have the display on the other side. The yeah. sensors could be on the inside, but the display could be on the other Anyway. Anyway, anyway so here's the part that's going to horrify you. Excellent. But I think it's kind of awesome. So, <laughs> So the video they have that goes along with this, it shows different use cases for this technology. Uh-huh. So it's like... The uh, the person who needs to get their notifications all the time, and if they get it on their wrist, for some reason that makes it less distracting than if they were whipping out their phone every five seconds. Uh, there's the person who is not sleeping enough, so it's actually telling them, hey, you need to get some sleep. Then there's the person who's the dude at the bar who totally wants to meet the chick at the bar but doesn't really know how to approach said chick at the bar. But both of them are wearing razor naboo's that have their personal preferences programmed into them. So it lets him know that she also likes sports and hiking. So he can go up and say, hey, I saw that you like sports and hiking. I also like sports and hiking. And then if she thinks he's cute, she can actually send him a message on his wrist saying, hey, see you tomorrow. It's on the video. So,
2: wow. Yeah. Um, well, that's, I mean, I'm not as horrified as I could be by that. I it think, would be opt-in, know, obviously. It's an, it's an opt-in process, and, uh, I myself, being an incredibly awkward person, could see how it could be useful to have some, um, some pre-information before starting a conversation. I think it someone. would be
0: awesome if, you know, like, you got information about the person, like, says, it says something like, uh, for the guy that you, you're, you're, you're eyeing. seeing it, you're, uh-huh. you're eyeing the dude at the bar and the, the information coming back is saying things like, uh, you know, he likes the music you like and he's, he's into art and he's into, uh, to, to kind of like cult films. And then meanwhile, the information that comes up on his wrist is just saying, I'm so awkward. Oh. <laughs> so, but it's opt-in, right? That's the approach. That's, I actually think it's kind of a neat idea. Now granted, I'm happily married and have been for, for a long time. So I'm well removed from that scene and I have. Thankfully, forgotten how awkward it can be. Um, so that's not so much of a, uh, selling point for me.
2: Probably, probably not, but, uh, but yes. I can,
0: it's best for everybody. I trust Im- me.
2: <laughs> I can imagine that that would be a pretty good selling point for, for many people.
0: And then the last thing I have on my list, although, uh, granted, you know, of course, there's tons more stuff that we could talk about, but the Roku TV, uh, that was a big deal. The idea. Right. Every year, Roku has come to CES and really, uh, tried to push the, the envelope with, New products. Uh, you know, they had that little dongle Roku that came out a while ago where it was essentially a full Roku system, but on a thumb drive that you could hook up through a USB port on your on your or maybe it was HDMI. Might have been an HDMI port on your on your television. I don't have one, so uh-huh. <laughs> you know, I I uh, I have uh Roku two and I bought Roku threes for my family because uh they're supposed to be really easy to use and uh have a lot of different services on them. So they're now in the TV business, actually building TVs with the Roku uh, technology built System directly built in, into the television. Uh-huh. So that was, you know, another big game changer type approach, or at least they hope it'll be a game changer. Well, it'll remain to be seen whether or not it is, you know, Internet TV. That's one of those things that's been trying to make uh, a real splash for several years now. And um, I think we're finally seeing interfaces that nail it. Mot- largely in part to set-top boxes like Roku or like the console systems that made it, uh, you know, they had their own user interfaces that, seemed to work a little better than some of the skinned stuff you would see on various television sets that were supposed to be smart TVs.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I think that also um, integration with smartphones has really helped out. Like like once we started having enough people with smartphones that were capable of running the kind of apps that were necessary to control these sort of things therefore yeah. use a remote like that.
0: Yeah. To, to, when your phone becomes your remote, that also is really handy because, yeah. you know, especially if you're using your phone for other stuff like, you know, you're playing Angry, Angry Birds while... The dreamy boys of Supernatural are out there fighting the baddies, you know.
2: Just for example.
0: Uh, it, that's totally not an example from my life. Not, not at all. I don't play Angry Birds. I play Plants vs. Zombies oh, too. Oh, I see. So, because it's thematic, zombies. So, you know, there are no Angry Birds in Supernatural. Actually, that I can't say that. I haven't gotten all the way through them. I'm sure there's going to be an episode coming up. All right. So anyway. <laughs> That kind of sums up my experience of CES. I just thought uh, it was an interesting show from the perspective of quirky future technologies that could potentially have a big impact, either in the implementation as shown off at CES or in future implementations. To me, it was a great show.
2: No, no, I I think that this has been a a pretty interesting spread of products. Of of course, many and and a lot of places where I got my information, being that I did not go, were some of the excellent coverage from companies like Verge, and Engadget, uh, IGN. CNET, CNET was CNET. big. Uh-huh. Uh,
0: also, of course, Revision 3 did a lot of coverage. Of course, yes. Our buddies over at Revision 3. I got a chance to uh, see them at work. Those people work hard. All of these people. Every single one we've mentioned so far. I mean, they... If you could see how quickly they turn around from one segment to the next, it's exhausting just to watch. Uh, I went there having to shoot three videos. There were other people there who were like, okay, this is shoot number 127. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> and I just feel my eyes roll up into my head. All right, guys. Well, that wraps up our discussion of CES 2014 and the stuff that I saw there. If you have any suggestions for future topics, maybe there's something that we talked about on this show that you think deserves its own episode. Let us know. Send us an email. Our address is techstuff at discovery.com or drop us a line on Facebook, Twitter, or Tumblr. Our handle at all three locations is techstuffhsw, HSW and Lauren and I will talk to you again really soon.
2: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com.
0: Nissan's SUV has the capabilities to take you where you want to go. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds...
2: It was shocking. I have to know.
1: What were they thinking?
2: Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets.
1: Sets off a firestorm in
0: Washington.
2: Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man.
0: Warning. It's even messier than you thought.
1: United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats.
2: I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough